The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for all the tips, techniques, information, and news you need to get started or get further along the path to financial independence through real estate investing. The Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati has its second meeting for the month of May tomorrow evening. It's at the usual location at the corner of Reading and Seymour. They're at the Community Action Agency building in the Bond Hill area. The early workshop is an analysis of a real-life rehab deal from how it was found and analyzed to how the initial estimates compared with the final bills to the outcome of that property. So just a, a good case study for folks who are uh, looking to see how real-life investors do it. That is the 6 o'clock early workshop at uh, 7.30. The main meeting is called... Inspectors and Code Enforcement, Friends or Foes. Don't jump to a conclusion on that until you've come to the meeting and listen to our expert talk about why codes are what they are and what you can do to ease the process of working with building inspectors and code enforcement officials. Cincinnati RIA is a nonprofit organization and meetings are open to the public if you'd like to attend as a guest, simply show up and say, I heard about it on Real Life Real Estate, and your first meeting will be free. You can get more information about the location and the details of the meetings at CincinnatiRIA.com. That's com, or by calling 859-292-7342, 859-292-RIA. Our topic today is creative finance, which is... Um, I don't know. It's a it's a tough it's a tough topic to cover without without three days and and visual aids and calculators and all the things that you would need to really get into depth on on the the whole scope of creative finance. But to try to uh, sort of give us a, an introduction and some practical tips on it, I have Darren Carey on the line from. Homes and more. Darren is an investor in the Dayton area who read his first book on real estate investing in 1983, but then didn't buy his first investment property until 2001, if that sounds familiar to anyone. He's a landlord, he's a renovator, he's a wholesaler, he's expanding into apartment buildings and commercial properties. He's a member of the board of our sister organization, Greater Dayton Rhea, and he is now 
full-time self-unemployed in the real estate business. Thank you for joining me this evening, Darren. Good afternoon, Vina. Thanks. It always sounds so impressive when somebody else says it. <laughs> Your resume always sounds better coming out of somebody else's mouth, right? Um, the, uh, uh, as I said in the introduction here, th- this is not an easy topic to sort of break down for people, but it's one that investors, what whatever it is that they do, whether it's you know single families, multifamilies, rehabbing, holding, uh, they're very interested in it. They're kind of confused by it. They often have a lot of half knowledge about different creative finance techniques. Um, sometimes they're a little scared of it because it sounds, I mean, just the very term creative finance either sounds vaguely illegal or like, oh, I have to be, I have to be creative. I have to have a, a 160 IQ in order to do this. So I appreciate you uh, being on the air to try and, and tackle this today. Um, but I just, I just want to warn listeners, if they have specific questions, they need to call us. They've got specific deals they're, they're working on or trying to negotiate. They need to call us because uh, this is such a wide-ranging topic that the, that the idea that we're going to touch on what you want to know today without you asking is, is, is pretty slim. So, listeners, you can give us a call in the greater Cincinnati area at 513-772-9658. If you're listening to us on the line, maybe through the new WMKV Android app, 877-772-9658 is the number to call. Or you can send questions via email to askvina at gmail.com. So, Darren, when we talk about creative finance... What is the scope here of what we are discussing? Well, at a very basic level, when I when I use the term creative finance, I'm saying anything other than walking into a traditional bank, filling out an application, and hoping they approve approve you for a loan. So that could be anything from going out doing a land contract, getting seller financing a lease option subject to assuming the loans, bringing in private partners, bringing in joint venture partners. There's a myriad of different ways you can be creative and take control of a property or the real estate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we have at various times here on Real Life Real Estate uh, broken these down into their individual, you know, we have a whole show on subject twos and the, on the, uh, uh, iTunes podcast. We have a whole show on raising private money. We have a whole show on um, land contracts and the SAFE Act and things like that. But people who are out there in the business full time trying to acquire lots of properties use lots of different creative finance techniques. So I, I'm, I'm sure you don't consider yourself a specialist in any one of these forms, but more uh I want to see what the situation is and figure out which one fits. Is that accurate? Have we lost Aaron? I think we've lost Aaron. Either that or he's really taking some time to consider the, to consider this question. So uh, while we, (laughs) while we attempt to retrieve Darren by phone, see, that's the thing with the people when we get them in the studio, they can't like get up and run away. So maybe we should, 
make everybody come into the studio from now on. Uh, while we are retrieving, Darren, uh, let me mention that the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati is starting a new advanced deal structuring subgroup uh, around some of these topics uh, about how to um, put together deals that don't involve going to the bank or using your own cash. And that group is uh, beginning on June the 25th is going to be the first meeting of the Advanced Deal Structuring Subgroup of Cincinnati RIA. And uh, you can get more information about that also at CincinnatiRIA.com. So, Darren. I'm back. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Uh, live, live radio, you know, is, is we can't edit out those uh, <laughs> you know, five-minute uh, places where we sometimes lose our guests. Um, we were talking about the difference between specializing in a particular type of creative finance, which a lot of people do. They, they, they only do subject twos or they only do lease options or they only do uh, private loans. And I, I think that most people who are in the market full-time like you are find it um, more advantageous to understand lots of different ways to do this to fit it to the situation. Is that what you're finding? Yes. Um, when I first started out, I thought creative finance was asking the seller to carry back a small second mortgage. That was about as creative as I got. But as I learned more about going through the RIA meetings and learning from the other people, there's you know dozens of different ways that you can put something together that will meet the seller's needs, but also allow you to take control of the real estate at the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you keep you keep saying that word control. You keep saying Correct. control the property as opposed to buy the property, um, and and you do when you when you talk about this topic distinguish between the idea of the financing and the idea of the control. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important? Well, it's, well, it's important because you don't necessarily have to own the property to control the results. If you're looking at larger properties, the common term is a master lease or a master lease option. With single families, we refer to it as a lease or a lease option or just a, a simple option. And those techniques, they allow you to control the property, to sublease it, or simply with an option to get the seller to agree to sell at a certain price so that you in turn can go out and market that property to other individuals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that. So the, so the various uh, creative techniques that, that we hear about are not always truly financing. They're not always really about making payments on something that are uh, in order to buy it. Sometimes they're making payments to rent it, as in the case of a master lease. Sometimes it's making a single payment just to control the purchase price for a while, as in the case of an option or in a lot of wholesale deals. And yet those are all creative ways to get enough control to make some money on the back end. Right. I, I just want to get that property locked up so that if I don't want to keep it for myself, I in turn can go wholesale or sell that property at a contract to another individual who does want the property. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, uh, Darren, we need to take a quick break. When uh, we come back, we are going to discuss some of your favorite creative finance techniques in terms of what you're seeing the market wanting right now. We're also going to take listener calls at 772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area, 877-772-9658 outside of greater Cincinnati, or at askvina at gmail.com. 
Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vena Jones-Cox, talking today to Darren Carey from Homes and More LLC in Dayton, Ohio. And you may be wondering, who the heck is this guy? Why, why in the world is he on the radio? Well, folks, you know, one of the ways that we find guests here on Real Life Real Estate is... Uh, I meet I meet real life investors who are really out there doing it and know they're not standing on a stage talking to 100,000 people while they're doing it. They're just doing it. And uh, you all have requested more of that sort of stuff. So that is uh, kind of the category Darren falls into, although he does do some presentations for local RIAs. He's not one of those go out there and sell gurus. He's just a guy who does it. And by the way, if you know some folks who do it who ought to be on the radio, uh, go to our Facebook page at realliferealestateradio.com and uh, give me some suggestions. I'd love to hear them. Um, Darren, you are speaking tomorrow night at Cincinnati RIA. Uh, the topic is anatomy of a deal and you're going you're gonna to walk folks through the whole process of, of a particular deal with all of its uh, rewards and challenges. You're, you're also speaking yeah. in, uh, uh, at the Columbus Group at uh, the, the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs Group on June the 5th on this topic. And folks who might be listening to us from the Columbus area can get more information about that at centralohioinvestors.com. And you are on the board of Greater Dayton RIA, where I know that there's a meeting tonight, in fact. There is. Yep, we're meeting tonight at 6.30 down at the Dayton Area Board of Realtors building. So anybody in the Dayton area, come on down at 6.30, tell them that they heard about it on the radio show here and we'll get you in for the meeting for free and you can come meet and see the rest of us and see what we're doing tonight mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and what is uh, gd ria's website gd ria's website is gdria.com and tonight we're going to have actually we'll have a lot of fun because we have the buy sell trade session going on so that's always a good lot of fun see what's going on with that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so if you are up in that area certainly um take a stop by gd ria which is um again one of Cincinnati RIA's sister organizations and a member of the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. We're talking today, though, about creative finance. And again, if you have questions, please give us a call at 772-9658 in the greater Cincinnati area, 877-772-9658 if you're listening to us online. You can also send an email with your questions or comments to askvina, A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A, at gmail.com. And um, if it's a, if it's a numbers heavy question where you'd like Darren to kind of analyze a creative deal, please send it by email. We have a, an easier time looking please. at it sometimes than we do <laughs> trying to untangle it as it's as it's being said. Uh, so, Darren, you like most full time real estate investors are depending pretty heavily on creative finance techniques these days. Um, banks aren't being especially friendly to. Uh, full-time investors, if if you're a part-time investor with a job and not very many properties, you can get some great financing from banks. Yeah. But if you're a full-timer with, you know, 15 mortgages that you pay every month and have been for 10 years, too bad. <laughs> no no bank right. financing just, for you. Just, just once you get enough experience to do it right, they cut you off. <laughs> exactly. So uh, out in the world of buying properties, uh, what is your current favorite creative buying technique that 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 and i know you're, you're doing a lot of them but which which is the one that you're sort of seeing 
the most call for right now? Right now, I'm seeing a lot of subject twos come through that I'm working with and followed closely by land contracts. It's a lot of people have properties that they're either financed close to what the market value is or even a little bit over. Mm-hmm. And by using a subject two, I'm not having to deal with a bank, private lenders, or anything else. And sometimes I can take on a very good mortgage at a very low rate because they're typically we're a homeowner and make up the difference on the cash flow while I sit here and I wait for the market to turn around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it, explain a little bit more about your subject to technique. Cause again, this is, this is a topic that we have spent entire programs on and we're not going to do that in this case, but I know that a lot of feedback that I'm getting from listeners and that, that, that I myself am seeing in the market is that there are a lot more people who would love for you to take over their mortgage than whose mortgage you would want to take over right now. That is correct. Um, there was one mortgage that we took subject to. We actually had the seller bring $30,000 to the table to pay down the mortgage to make it at a level that was acceptable to us. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We've, you've got to be very careful in that. I'm not going to take on a mortgage, an $80,000 mortgage for a $60,000 house. That's simply not going to happen. But a $60,000 mortgage on a $60,000 house, if I can pick it up at a 4% rate in a good rental neighborhood, that might be worth looking at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you're looking but at a you're looking at a combination of the balance, the terms. Uh, you mentioned that number four percent. That's a real nice number to be locked in for for the next twenty years and uh, you know twenty eight years until the market recovers. Uh, what sorts of properties are you doing subject twos on? More more of the rental type property, more of the bread and butter lease option type property, more of the higher end property? Most most of those are coming through right now are rentals with a few in the lease option category. It seems like there's a lot of people that bought a house for sixty, seventy thousand dollars, eighty thousand dollars a few years ago that now need to get rid of that house. So we're seeing a lot of those come through. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few that come in a little bit higher that are, you know, a real good lease option candidate for an exit strategy up in the $90,000, $110,000 range up here in Dayton. But I'm just not seeing as many of those, but I'd like to see more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for a while we have had, uh, and I mean a long while, we've been in a period of, of dropping interest rates. And right now, uh, anyone who's gotten a loan in the last six months literally is if they had good credit down in the in the three and a half to four and a half percent range. So as the market stabilizes and we see we see the people who are getting loans now who five years from now want to sell and prices have gone up a little bit, that will certainly be a strategy that is is going to become hotter as I see as as I'm mentally picturing the graph on how well subject twos have worked, I'm I'm seeing it climb through Oh one, oh two, oh three, oh four, oh five, oh six, oh seven, and then fall off a cliff <laughs> because we uh, during during right. those during during that time period uh, there were a lot of homeowners buying houses, many more than there are now, and there were a lot of folks who, if they had owned their house for two years, had ten or twenty percent equity. And then after 2007, suddenly they had negative 20% equity or negative 30 or negative 40% equity. 
And although they were very willing to do that strategy, they were very willing to let you take over their loan. They just weren't loans that you could take over. But the, but the ones that we're seeing come into existence now are going to be the subject twos of three years from now, five years from now, uh, et cetera. So that is definitely a strategy that it's still around. There's still deals out there that are doable. But if you're not learning about it now, you are going to be way behind two to three years from now. Right. So be, like you said, there'll be a lot of good deals to pick up in a couple, three years as the market turns around and we get advantage of taking those low interest loans subject to. It'll be good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, we're talking today about creative finance with uh, Darren Carey from the Dayton area. And we're also looking for your feedback and phone calls. Uh, you can call us in the greater Cincinnati area at 513-772-9658. If you're listening to us from outside the greater Cincinnati area, 877-772-9658 is the number to call. You can also send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Um, Darren, I, I just I re- just received an email. This is from John in Newport, Kentucky. Um, he is challenging the entire idea of creative finance. You ready for this? <laughs> John John says, my main problem with creative finance techniques has always been that it seems that it is taking advantage of an unsophisticated seller who probably does not fully understand the terms of what he is taking on. How would you respond to this? Absolutely, with total and full disclosure. When I sit down, especially with your subject too, I sit down with someone, I explain to them step by step what it is, how it works, what the risks are that go with it, and what it means to them over with their credit and that staying on their credit report for the rest of the term of that loan. You, you've got to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, don't, I don't think that John's... Uh, thought process about this is that unusual for a civilian. Uh, in fact, I have I have seen things online where people are, you know, talking about the the whole. This is this is real estate investors taking advantage of of sellers uh, type of talk, and I can tell you from my own experience that that is coming from someone who has never talked to one of these desperate sellers. Uh, There's almost like this thought out there that as, as real estate entrepreneurs, we somehow have magic power over sellers and we tell them, we tell them lies about, about uh, this creative deal we're doing. And we are, um, I don't know, pulling their puppet strings and making them sign things that they shouldn't be signing. uh, When, in reality, I think I think you'll agree, Darren. Most of these people are desperate for a solution. They don't know how to create the solution because they just they haven't studied this like we have. And when it is offered to them, what they understand is, oh my gosh, that solves my problem. Right. And I would never advocate anyone do anything even slightly underhanded. I always look at it this way: anytime I'm putting a deal together with somebody, I should be willing to see that spread out on the front page of the newspaper or we want to stand up in front of the judge and say, all right, I did exactly like this, this is why I did it, and this is why I believe I was right. As long as I'm okay with that, then generally it's going to be a good deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And it is, I mean, it is sometimes the case. I mean, I'll, I'll admit this again from my experience that a seller who today you want, you know, they understand what's going on because you have walked them through every step. They have signed a multi-page disclosure in English saying, I understand I'm selling my house. I understand I don't own it anymore. I understand the loan's not being paid off. I understand uh, that uh, I can't write the interest off my taxes, even though the the loan's still in my name. Uh, that two years later, sometimes they don't understand anymore. Yeah, and I've talked to another investor friend of mine who found one that two days after he signed everything, decided he changed his mind and didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when people's circumstances change, they get, well, not only have buyer's remorse, so I guess we'll call it seller's regret, <laughs> because their circumstances have changed, and all of a sudden now it wasn't such a great deal, even though it was good for them at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and two days later, the typical, the typical real estate person is going to say, fine, let's tear it up. You know, if you're not, what I would do. if you're not, if you're not happy with it, uh, you know, still fully understanding it, even though you were a couple of days ago, well, we just won't go forward with it. Um, you know, the issue of now that it's two years later and I'm not in bankruptcy anymore and this loan is still on my credit report, which I knew was going to happen. And by the way, all the payments have been made. And by the way, that improved my credit after my bankruptcy. But now FHA is telling me I can't buy a house because of this other loan. So now I don't want it anymore. Uh, you know, that's, that's unfortunate, but uh, that's, you know, that that's more, that's more human nature in when I'm in trouble, I'm looking for the rescuer. And two years later, I don't appreciate the rescuer because my situation has changed than it is anybody doing anything wrong at the beginning of the transaction when they are in fact disclosing everything. Um, need to take another quick break. Looking for your feedback listeners at 877-772-9658 or at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Talking today to real life investor Darren Carey from the Dayton, Ohio area about um, just sort of what what's going on in the world of creative buying and uh also taking your calls, questions, comments at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight or at askvina at gmail dot com. That's A S K V E N A at Gmail dot com. Uh now Darren you said something interesting. I, I said what what creative finance techniques are you finding that you're using a lot of right now? You said subject twos and the second thing you said was land contracts. Talk to me about land contracts. Well, I like the land contracts. My, my first choice whenever I go after properties, I, I always want the seller involved in the financing of the property. That's always first choice. So with a land contract, it's a little simpler for the seller, and they don't have to write a mortgage or a note. And I can essentially write that land contract in addition to any existing financing that's out there. Mm-hmm. So, so, so I get all the benefits of ownership of the property that way. So ex- 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 explain that to me. Give, give, give me an example of a recent deal that you did that involved a land contract. Okay, we picked up a property over in East Dayton. And when we put it together, we had the seller agree to a land contract with a three-year balloon. We agreed to make payments on part of the land contract. But the balloon included the total price. So the land, con- the property purchase price was forty thousand dollars. It was a smaller property. 
we calculated payments based on 30000 but the full balance was due at the end. So it's almost like we set it up as a first and a second if they're traditional mortgages, mm-hmm. but I'd have to pay interest on the second part at all. Okay. So why the land contract? Why not? What, what, what was the seller situation that uh, made you decide to do that instead of buying it subject to an existing loan? So when we did the disclosure on the subject two, the seller wasn't comfortable with the risks that were associated with that. Uh-huh. And they much preferred the land contract because of their their recourse available to them through a land contract. Mm-hmm. We set it up so it was set up with a trustee, and if we didn't perform on the land contract, then we just return the property back to them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But we set the first part of the land contract up so that it was the same amount as the mortgage, and then the, the balance of their equity uh, was just tacked onto the balloon. Okay, so there's like a $30,000 loan on this property. You yes. s- you set up the land contract in a way that met the terms of that loan in, in terms of your monthly payment, and then in three years when you purchase or sell the property, whatever you're doing to pay it off, uh, at that right. point she'll receive her $10,000 in equity, but in the meantime her payments are covered. Correct. Okay. She, that, that was her thing. She wanted the payments to go away, and she didn't want to be a landlord anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about balloons. Um, many owner finance techniques, land contracts, typically owner-held mortgages, typically even a lot of uh, private loans, which we're not really getting into today, uh, do contain balloons. And what, what that means is in three to five years, it doesn't matter where you are in the payoff process, you got to pay off the rest. What is your plan, Darren, for being able to do that as these balloons are coming due? Because we, we have no reason to believe that the easy, the easy bank finance market is going to be back in three to five years. No, and we really don't expect that to change. Uh, one of the things that I'm doing now is I'm starting to work more and more with joint venture partners and private lenders and private partners. So as I'm going through there, I'm pulling them in on deals I want to keep. But also, a lot of the properties that I deal with right now are rental properties. So a lot of them, I am simply, once I've got the property purchased and stabilized, I'm simply in turn selling them to another landlord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you you do have your, because uh, I, I, I see a lot of investors, I had a conversation, in fact, today with uh, one of our local investors here in town that are really just kicking the can down the road on those balloons. They're kind of They're kind of saying, well, you know. We'll see where we are in five years. <laughs> I, I know I'm going right. to have a, a giant payment due, and I, I really don't have a plan. We'll just have to see where the market is in five years, and that is not a that is not a good um, that is not a good plan because uh, I, I can tell you that 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 not private you. lender or that seller is going to be expected to be paid in five years. Right, and, and they do expect that. And you have to have a plan in place in order to meet the terms of the contract that you've agreed to. I'm not to say things don't happen because they do, mm-hmm. but you should always have a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you like land contracts in the cases where the seller is either not comfortable with the idea of a subject to or or a wraparound or something where you get the deed, uh, or in situations where perhaps they don't have a mortgage for you to take over, which. No. Makes it it works great to... when they don't have a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does It does sort of make it, a, uh, not having a mortgage to a sort of makes the whole subject to thing a challenge if that's all you know how to do. Um, so you like you like subject to's a lot, you like the land contracts a lot. 
can you can you talk a little bit about why people are doing this with you? Because because this is how I grew up. You know, land, land contracts and and owner financing of all sorts is. I mean, I knew I knew how to how to amortize a seller held mortgage before I knew what algebra was, just because you know <laughs> as I was. As I was growing up, and and my and my father was investing in real estate, we had a similar situation with banks. It wasn't that money wasn't available; it was that it was available at eighteen percent interest, and nobody could <laughs> could make the, could make properties cash flow with that. So you know, all sellers were were looking at seller financing. At least had some vague understanding that it was out there. We saw very, very little seller financing other than the subject two deals between about oh three and oh seven and now you're telling me that this is one of the bigger parts of your acquisitions business. What are these sellers saying to you? What are they reflecting to you about why they are doing it? I found there's two parts two answers to that one they've been unable to sell their house. They've gone out there on the market, they've tried to sell it, they couldn't get it, they could get the price they wanted, or the house needs work. So they've got issues with the house itself where they're not able to sell the property. The other thing is the news media has made it very easy for me to simply look at and say, hey, listen, the banks aren't going to lend me any money. If I'm going to get this house from you, we've got to do it between us. We can't go to the bank. I'm not able to. I've got too many mortgages. I can't go to the bank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they understand that because the news has put it everywhere. Banks aren't lending. So, so the sellers, the sellers out there who who are not professional real estate people, are aware of the limitations, or, or at least to some extent of the of the limitations you're going to have in going to the bank. They are not yet aware, although I think in five years they will be, uh, to the point where they would come to you and say, "Take over my payments," or come to you and say. Let me take payments from you. I, I I gather you are needing to say that to them as a solution still. Right. Right. I have to educate them on that, explain to them what that means and how it works. You know, they don't understand that, you know, I can't go to the bank because I have too many mortgages because there's a, you know, four mortgage limit for Fannie Freddie and all the other rules that are out there. But they've heard that the news says, well, banks are making it very hard to borrow money right now. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the, the, the real estate professionals who bother to learn about creative finance, and by the way, I am not just including investors in that category. I'm including realtors as well when I say, when I say real estate professionals who are willing to learn about creative finance, not just from the point of view of what are the techniques and what is the negotiation, but also what's the paperwork what has to be recorded, what what protections are in place for the seller and the buyer and so on, um, are are kind of um they're they're at the cutting edge right now of something that is going to be so common five years from now we won't even have to talk about it because like everybody will be doing it, right? Right. Well the mentality has changed. Back in oh four, oh five, oh six time frame, I would have real estate agents tell me, You can't do a land contract, that's illegal. Yeah. And now, I haven't heard that now for the last couple of years. Now, now I get real estate agents going, oh, you want to do a Well, I, he's still talking. I can hear him very, very vaguely, but it's like uh, maybe something happened on to his speaker or something. 
Don't know. Well, this is a great time for a break then. <laughs> We're going to get Darren back and we will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate and Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today, Darren Carey, who is, by the way, going to be at the Greater Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow night at 6 o'clock talking about a renovation deal that he did. He's going to be at Greater Dayton RIA this evening, and he's going to be at the Central Ohio Real Estate Entrepreneurs on June the 5th talking about creative finance for beginners. And I said at the beginning, you're not a guru, Darren, and here you are all over the state. Nope. Well, I guess that's what happens when you actually volunteer and say, hey, I can tell you about this. And someone <laughs> says, okay. That's exactly but, right. Yeah. Um, uh, Darren, we got a question uh, from Lori in, I'm going to I'm gonna try this, I can never pronounce this right, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Murfrees, Murf, anyway, she's from near Nashville, Tennessee. Okay, she's, I understand that. <laughs> she says, I, I really believe that I understand the numbers and the documentation. What I need Darren to tell me is what an initial conversation with a seller should sound like when they are not knowledgeable about creative finance. How do I begin to explain to them about options that they're not familiar with in a way that leaves them open to considering them? Um, usually when I'm looking at something creative, I will start off with something very simple is, are you willing to take payments? I'm not, I don't want to try to complicate things by explaining what a lease option is, a land contract is, or subject to. First, I want to know, will you take payments? Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, I can't go to the bank right now and get a loan because of the economy. They're not lending. I sure, I'm sure you've heard that. But I could make you payments. Would that be okay? Mm-hmm. And then once they've given me an affirmative on that being okay, then I can start going down the road of, okay, well, how much do the payments need to be? How much do I need to give you down? And as I figure out what their needs are, I can start taking those needs and match it to the right technique to take care of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, come, come to them starting at their level, which is, I understand what payments are because I've made them. I don't know what a subject to is or a land contract is, but I do understand what payments are. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's some good advice uh, there for Lori. And uh, let me let me expand on Lori's question a little bit, Darren, because the the problem that I see sometimes with investors who have gone out and they have quote studied creative finance and they quote understand the math and the uh, the documents is that they get so fascinated with the process of negotiating a deal and they get so excited about about putting together a going to make payments to the seller no money down or low money down deal that they they lose sight of whether they're negotiating a good deal hey that sounds familiar i think i did that a couple times when i started out <laughs> so let's talk about without without uh Getting into a bunch of math, yeah, let, let's talk about uh, big picture. If you're buying a $60,000 house that you know you can rent for, say, six fifty a month, what's the highest payment you want to be making? Preferably zero. <laughs> Preferably zero. Okay. Preferably zero. <laughs> um, typically, I, I want to try to give myself a fair amount of wiggle room in there. So right now, for a, six, a house that's running for six fifty, mm-hmm. my payment's probably going to be about three and a quarter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that'll include taxes and insurance. 
Okay. Okay. And, and, and listeners, please, please mentally note that because I know some of you, some of you were thinking, well, he's going to say 550. Uh-uh. A hundred, a hundred bucks. There's no, mar- there's no margin for that. A hundred bucks a month is, is, you know, that's if I, if I could get me a hundred of those, I'd be doing well. <laughs> the, uh, knowing, knowing and understanding your exit strategy on these properties is what comes first. And what Darren knows that made him say that he only wanted to pay half as much to in, in principal interest taxes and insurance is that he knows it costs more than that to own a rental property. And and if you didn't exactly. if you didn't know that, you probably shouldn't be out pursuing creative deals because you don't understand what you're going to do with them at the end. So they're they're, they're, they're you, go ahead, Darren. You've got to know what your expenses are. You've got to understand what you're getting into. So it's you know, could you do a five fifty payment? Yeah, if you're doing a quick flip and you're planning on selling a retail in five or six months. Yeah, you, I would do a 550 payment on a retail sale mm-hmm. if that's what it took, or I could didn't have to bring all the cash to the table. Mm-hmm. But I would never do that on a property that you don't hold long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, Lori, take that into account as well. Now, uh, Darren, we only have about five minutes left in the show, and I want to cover something uh, that is 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 really really important and gets left out of most of the technical discussions of creative finance that are talking about. What, how do you fill out the contract and how do you do the math and how do you do the negotiation? And that is the ethics of creative finance. And this was something we, we were challenged on earlier in the show without, without him directly saying that. Um, we have both seen investors who learn how to do this and they go out and they use it like a machine gun. I mean, they have, they just, they're just, doing damage everywhere <laughs> you know, they're, they're they're spraying the world with with deals that they can't uh they can't or will not uh do what they said they were going to do and it gives both the creative finance strategies and real estate investors themselves a bad image and if enough of that goes on eventually of course the state passes a law that says all of this is illegal so let's talk about the ethical part of this and why our listeners need to be focused on the ethical part of it. Right. Well, you, you know, there's two parts to it. One, we're here, we're going out there, we need to solve a problem for the seller. Okay. At the same time, we do not need to, and we should not take advantage of the seller. You should never have to hide anything from them. You should always give them full disclosure. This is what we're going to do. This is how I can do it for you. This is how it works. This is what it means to you. Here it is in writing. If you're not sure, if you don't understand this, please go take it to an attorney. Go get someone else to look at it. Make sure this is what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Make sure you understand all the ramifications, all the implications of what this means. If you're doing a subject two, know that the bank could call that due on sale. Know that that's going to remain on your credit until that mortgage is pay off, paid off, which might be five or 25 years down the road, and what that means to you. Mm-hmm. And if you're not sure, and if they're not sure, then as an investor, you've got to step into something else that will work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sometimes you need to be careful mm-hmm. about the 
uh, the folks that you are working with. Sometimes you, you need to be responsible for qualifying your sellers to some extent to, to make sure that this is the best thing for them and importantly that they understand it. And Darren, you just said, you tell them, hey, if you don't understand it, take it to your attorney, which is something a lot of people would be afraid to say. They're going to say, oh, the attorney will kill the deal. Better the attorney kills the deal than that the seller signs something they don't understand because that is going to come back to haunt you. Right. And you you never want anybody to come back and say, hey, you lied to me. You misrepresented what you were doing. You didn't tell me that that stayed on my credit report. You didn't tell me you weren't going to pay it off. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, all those things need to come out up front and be in writing. Uh-huh. And what about, um, I mean, we, we are typically going into these situations as the expert, even though we may not feel like, you know, it's our first creative deal, we may not feel like we're an expert. We're certainly more of an expert than the person that we're, we're talking to. Their expectation is if we say that they are going to receive $279 a month for the next five years that they are going to receive $279 a month for the next five years. So this is not something that, that because these folks are unlikely to report you to the credit bureau for not paying that you can just blow off. I mean, part of the ethics of this is if you have made a commitment, you fulfill that commitment, even when it is inconvenient, even when you don't have someone paying you, even when you haven't had some, even when your tenant hasn't paid you for five months, and you're ha- you're actually having to not take your family vacation because you have to pay that two hundred and seventy nine dollars a month, I mean, I I, I just I cannot um, I cannot emphasize that strongly enough to folks that are out there doing this. Yeah, I mean, you get to the point where you pay those mortgages, those private land contracts, subject to you pay all those things before you pay your own mortgage. Hmm. Hmm. And the, and the you know, tim- everything. Go ahead. Everything has to be absolutely above board. Everything. Yeah, because it's uh, it, it's easy to forget that that when you're dealing with a with a large bank and you get into a cash flow crunch and you can't make your payments this month, you are not going to send that bank into bankruptcy. <laughs> it's not you know one way or no. another. It, you know they don't care. They're just servicing the loan anyway. If you get into that situation with a seller who is truly depending upon the payment that you're making them to put food on the table or the private lender who that, that money isn't that money is all the money they had in their retirement plan or the, the seller who's working toward getting a new loan and you paying their existing loan is a big part of that. You can truly turn somebody's life upside down single handedly if you're not doing things right. So all, all true. That's <laughs> that's where, as investors, we have to kind of self-police and keep our standards high. Because even though anyone who's going to commit fraud or do something poorly or bad is going to find a way to do it, but we still need to self-police and try to teach and educate the people around us how to do it right. And know enough about our own business to not do the wrong thing accidentally. Um, You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Darren Carey, my guest this evening, will be at the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati tomorrow evening talking about the anatomy of one of his rehab deals. That's a 6 o'clock meeting. At the 7.30 meeting, you'll get to hear about whether code enforcement officials are friend or foe. 
And of course, we will be back next week with more information about how you can be and stay on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. <music>